On this episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, our guest is Ansley Crabtree, a CMF Global Scope missionary in Tübingen, Germany. Ansley shares about campus ministry in Spain, Scotland, and Germany, how she has grown and stretched in her faith over the years of serving with Global Scope, and learned to trust her own unique voice. Our host is Cami Burns-Reed, the Assistant Director of Global Scope. Welcome to the Fellowship. My name is Cami Burns-Reed and I am the Assistant Director of Global Scope. And today I'm going to be interviewing one of our Global Scope International Campus Ministers. Joining me today on the podcast is Ansley Crabtree, coming at us live from Tübingen, Germany. So hello, Ansley. Cami. Ansley, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. So I live in Tübingen with my husband and our two children. I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. Um, my husband and I have been married for nine years. Um, we got married about eight months before we moved to Scotland, where we also worked with Global Scope. Um, we actually met through doing Global Scope. So I I've worked in three different global scope fields, um, Spain, Scotland, and now in Tubigan. I met my husband while I was on the team in Spain. He was an exchange student and I was on the team. Um, and we met then, but didn't start dating then because, you know, that wouldn't be okay. Um, there are other stories for a different podcast. <laughs> like that. Um, so we met through doing Global Scope, started dating several years later. And um, when we started dating, he was already committed to be on a new Global Scope team that was opening up in Edinburgh, Scotland. And so after we got married, we moved there. Um, and then our first daughter was born in Edinburgh. And then we left Edinburgh, transitioned to Germany, and our second daughter was born two and a half months after we moved to Tübingen. So, no big deal. Just move <laughs> while you're six and a half months pregnant. Uh, they call it Hochschwanger. Yes. Highly pregnant. Highly pregnant. I love that. Yeah. So we've got a little international kind of multicultural family. I'm actually the only person in our family who was born in America. My husband was born in Germany as well um, because his parents were stationed in the military in Heidelberg. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I still think you're very cool, even if you were born in the U.S. Well, um, you want to tell me a little bit about where, what part of the U.S. you're from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Northwest Georgia. So kind of between two towns, um, the town that my parents lived in and I went to school in is called Calhoun. And then my grandparents and the rest of my extended family lived just up I-75 in Dalton, Georgia. So kind of between those two towns in Northwest Georgia. Awesome. So slightly different from Salamanca, Spain, Edinburgh, Scotland, and Tübingen, Germany. A little bit, just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Okay. Uh, what what was family like growing up, growing up in Northwest Georgia? I um, I don't know if you've ever read anything by Pat Conroy. Mm -hmm. I kind of like to say that I feel like I grew up in a Pat Conroy novel. Um, right. Very like quintessential Southern. There were a lot of things that were very idyllic and beautiful and wonderful about it. And then there were also things that were very tragic and kind of mysterious and um, kind of multi-generational family drama and societal, cultural drama kind of things. So yeah, the first time I read um, Beach Music by Pat Conroy when I was in college, I was like, oh, okay. Yep. I know how this goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's awesome. I love Pat Conroy and I totally get what you mean. It's like in the South, we sometimes like to present a really nice, beautiful, idyllic front. Yes. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. So uh, did you always know that you wanted to be an international campus minister or <laughs> tell me a little bit about how you ended up on this path? 
Um, if my 15 year old self could see me now, <laughs> I think her little brain might explode. I, this was never the childhood dream for me. Um, I grew up going to church I, on and off. I was pretty involved in youth group in high school. Um, but I don't even remember missionaries coming to visit our church. I grew up in a Methodist church and I'm sure they did, but I, I don't have like big, strong memories of like, oh, this is what a missionary is. Or, um, you know, it's probably just like a general cultural understanding of, of what that word meant. Um, and it, in fact, even though I was involved in church, I, I really didn't see being a Christian as part of my future post high school. Um, and in fact, had pretty much sworn it off. I, I thought you know, my, my life was pretty hard growing up. I didn't have a great, um, uh, I had kind of a mixed family, family situation. Some of it was really wonderful and some of it was exceedingly difficult. And so, and a lot of the difficult was tied to people who were in my church and their relationship um, with my family. And so um, I had pretty much sworn off church when I went off to college and then my first week at Georgia Tech, um, I had an, a very difficult week. I'd always thought college was going to be like the thing that kind of saved me in a way because I was going to get out of my small town. I was finally going to have my own life, and my own world. And then my first week after, you know, got settled in the dorm, I decided to rush for a sorority. I really wanted to join a sorority um, because that's what people in the South, that's what you do. That's what I knew that's how you make friends in college where I'm from. And um, it did not work out. <laughs> no, no one picked me. Mm. Someone, you're like, go visit all the different groups, all the different houses. And one of them is supposed, one or several are supposed to pick you. And none of them picked me, which like happens. To, no, that doesn't happen. Mm. Someone always picks you. Um, and so I had a really terrible first week of college. <laughs> but I have uh, two older cousins who are, very close and near and dear to me. One who was involved at Georgia Tech CCF um, and the other who was involved at Auburn Christian Fellowship when um, when they were students at those respective schools. And so they called the campus house at Georgia Tech. Um, and actually, I think they spoke to Angie Stryker, who is on the Globescope Steering Committee. And Angie Stryker and Phil Tatum, who was working at Georgia Tech CCF at the time as a freshman intern, grabbed a bag of chocolate chip cookies and came to my dorm and buzzed the bell mm -hmm. <laughs> to my dorm room and said, hey, we don't know you, but your cousin called us and said that you were cool and we should come meet you. <laughs> and so I let strangers with cookies into my dorm room. And that's how I got involved in campus ministry. One of them has been my mentor since I was 19 and the other is my boss now. I love it. You uh, get picked by the best people on Georgia Tech's campus. It's, it's so sure. real, right. Like who I never, never would have imagined I would still know those people and look at me now. Um, so yeah, I got involved in campus ministry and through that, uh, just really loved it. I loved being involved at Georgia Tech CCF, even though I had wanted nothing to do with church when I was in college, it was just, it was so different than churches I had seen it. It was a way more authentic version of community and of love and just a really different picture of what it looked like to be a Christian. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, we, we love to say phrases like campus ministry changes lives, but I feel like that's a real, like, I mean, that, that might be what kept you at Georgia Tech. That might be I mean, it certainly gave you an awesome college experience and a, and a really refreshing um, Christian experience. So I think, yeah. I think campus ministry changed your life. Yeah. I think that's yeah. too, too big to say. I, I would definitely say that campus ministry changed my life. Um, it definitely changed the the course of um, my career. I was I planned to be a lawyer. Um, yes. and that's what I, I studied to do at Georgia Tech. And um doing campus ministry after college just seemed to fit. It just seemed to fit better. It um, was a lot more exciting at the time. And um, I also, I, campus ministry definitely kept me at Georgia Tech. It nearly got me kicked out of Georgia Tech because I would often do campus ministry events instead of doing the work that I was supposed to be doing. A little bit of a double-edged sword there. But. 
For yeah. sure, that that is a real struggle. Um, for sure, but oh, I love that. That's great. I, I wanted to be a doctor when I went off to college. So here we are, all these years later. <laughs> like not a doctor and not a lawyer, but still doing really big, wonderful, important things. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so so during your time at Georgia Tech CCF, would you say there was like a big moment where you said, I wanna be a minister, um, or was it more of a gradual, just slow calling journey in that direction? Um, I, there was a moment where I knew that I wanted to be involved with Global Scope, okay. but I don't know that that was necessarily a moment where I, I knew that I wanted to be a minister. I think that moment came through involvement with Global Scope. So when I was in my third year at Georgia Tech, we we refer to we like I'm still part of it. Uh, <laughs> you don't say that you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. You say your first year, second year, third year. So um, in my third year of college, I um they were doing a really big recruiting push for exchange students for Global Scope because they were about to open up a couple of new campus ministries, one in Puebla, Mexico, and one in Salamanca, Spain. And so um, the teams that had formed for those two ministries did a huge recruiting push at Georgia Tech CCF. Um, and they were, through that, able to recruit Oh, gosh, dozens of exchange students for multiple years of the ministries. Um, it was unlike anything else. I think Global Scope has seen since. Um, but it was it was through that recruiting push that I got involved with Global Scope. So because um, it was kind of what everybody was doing, but also at the same time, it was it fit really well with the place I was at spiritually, where I I started to engage with Christianity. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned that coming into college, that was not something I was interested in, but it really started to engage with it through my involvement at CCF had kind of rededicated my life to following Jesus mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of towards the end of my first year of college. And then this big recruiting push happened in my third year in college. And I just knew that I was at a, had I had done a lot of spiritual work in that kind of intervening two years, had done a little bit of counseling and therapy to work on some of the things that I'd been through in my life and knew that I was at a place where I wanted to create some space for God to work mm. um, in a way that just didn't feel possible in the context that I was in. But I, I knew that I needed to kind of do something different, experience something different, see something different, and just see maybe what God would, how God might move through that. So um, signed up to interview to be an exchange student, went through that pro recruiting process and got picked to go to Salamanca, Spain, um, which was also kind of a funny thing for me at the time, because I, when I started out wanting to do law, I thought, oh, I'll do some kind of international law. That sounds really interesting. And then I did an internship in an international law firm, and I it was terrible, terrible experience. And so I had sworn off doing anything international. Um, yeah, I was going to do some kind of business, purely domestic related kind of law after I graduated college. And so then God finds me signing up to be an exchange student in Spain. So it's funny. Oh, That's, that's a really fun memory for me to think about because um, your third year at Georgia Tech was my first year at Georgia Tech. So as I was um, kind of showing up at CCF for the first time, that's all everybody was talking about was like this group of people that were about to move to Spain and this group of people that were about to go to Mexico. And I mean, it, it was, it was a big deal. You know, every, there was so much excitement specifically around those big groups of exchange students. And mm -hmm. um, so th those are my first memories of, campus ministry are hearing about all of this and how wonderful um, that these new places were going to be. And, you know, I remember just, it's funny. Um, I remember big initiatives to pray for all of you that were going to be exchange students and pray for these people on these teams. And um, I was like a freshman, I was 18 years old, like pr probably my first time at CCF. And someone gave me this uh, little piece of paper to pray for someone who's going to be an exchange student. And it, it was Jesse Dukes. And he's like my neighbor and a pastor at my church now. And so I laugh and think, wow, like it's so cool to see how how that just kind of shaped all of our lives to be part of Global Scope. It's such an exciting time in Global Scope history and and how that is still like 
all these years later, we are not college age anymore. And, uh, and I still just hold all of these. I know <laughs> we're not. I, I feel like I am, you know, I'm still in college world every now and then. But yeah, you don't live in the Hill House anymore. Came, you, don't, you don't still live in the Hemphill House. I anymore. don't. I don't. I don't. I only live with people in my immediate family now. And it's wonderful. I did. I did cherish living crammed into very rustic quarters all throughout college. But, you know, those, those memories are so sweet. And it's crazy to think, man, this is still such a big part of my life now and yours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So um, I'm not going to ask you to rank the global scopes <laughs> that you've worked with. Um, it's really cool. I, I can't think of very many people that have served at three different global scope locations. I think Noemi Martin, she just... Mm -hmm. uh, ended her service in Valencia, and she was on the team in Salamanca yeah. and Valencia and in Santiago, Chile. Mm -hmm. um, I'm having a hard time thinking of anyone else. So I think you're in a very, very elite group of global scopers. Um, but I would love to hear just about your different experiences. I mean, you were kind of, well, not kind of, you were definitely part of the Salamanca ministry as it got started, but that was as an exchange student. Then you were part of the Roots ministry in Edinburgh as it got started, but as a staffer. and then. Moving to Tubing in an existing ministry, I mean, you've had some very, very different experiences. And so um, I guess maybe a good question would be, um, what, what are some of the hardest uh, things about starting a new Global Scope ministry? Mm -hmm. um, but with, with that, not just the hardest things, now that you've transitioned to this, this existing ministry, what maybe are there things that you miss about that exciting first stage of Global Scope launch? What yeah. is that like? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So um I don't, so I feel like I've kind of grown up with Global Scope <laughs> in a lot of ways. I've experienced yeah. Global Scope at uh, gosh, lots of stages of adult life. So when I went to Salamanca for the first time, I was an exchange student. I stayed for an entire year as an exchange student, an entire school year. Um, I was 21, 22 at the time, and then went back to be on the team in Salamanca and was there for four years. So spent a large chunk of my 20s, half of, half of my 20s living in Spain. Um, and that, those were the very early days of the ministry there. So yeah, my um, our exchange student team actually got to the field before the team did. <laughs> you, if That's you go awesome. back in, in the podcast history, you can hear the story from the Bentleys um, about how the exchange students arrived before they did. And I was one of those people. So, um, so yeah, we were, we were definitely there in the early days of that ministry. And then I mentioned that my husband and I, eight months after we got married, moved to Edinburgh. And mm -hmm. that was to be part of the start team there. Um, and then we moved to Tubingen, Tubingen right after we moved here celebrated their 10 year anniversary. Nice. So very much moved into an established ministry, but yeah. So thinking about those, those two experiences of being on a start team, I am not cut out to be on a start team. That's Ooh. what I, mean. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Like hot take noise. Thanks. I love it. <laughs> I I've done it twice and I can tell you that my gifting and the things that I enjoy doing in ministry are not being on a start team. It's a lot, it's a lot of work and it just really takes a different um, kind of a certain set of skills, a certain personality to thrive in that. And now I say that knowing that I don't have those skills and I don't mm -hmm. have that personality, but I've been able to do it twice. And so mm -hmm. I don't want anyone who is on a start team to feel discouraged by sure. what like just because it's hard doesn't mean you can't do it. Right. I've done it twice. It's been hard both times. Sure. But there is so much, there's so much energy and excitement in those early days because you're just out there trying stuff. You're just doing the best that you can to get to know the culture, get to know a language, get to know a people and try to figure out how you can come alongside what the Holy Spirit is already doing in those places and just and be a part of how the Spirit's already moving. And um, I think a lot of the harder th moments that I went through were when I tried to assert myself onto mm -hmm. culture or assert the, the ministries that I'd been a part of previously onto the culture that I was in. That 
doesn't, I don't find that to work. I don't yeah. find that a very good methodology for ministry. So just so we're clear in Spain, you probably spoke Spanish in Edinburgh. You spoke English, a different English than you speak in Northwest Georgia, but English nonetheless. And now in Germany, you speak German. So do you love language learning? Um, how has that gone? I mean, talk to me about language acquisition. Um, I am, I'm not a good language learner. I, this is, I'm like, I'm sounding really negative about myself and my skill sets right now, aren't I? Um, I, I'm not a good language learner. This is not something that comes natural to me. It's difficult. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of perseverance and faithfulness. And, um, I wouldn't, I, I enjoy language. I enjoy stories. I enjoy talking to people, but the process of learning a language is difficult. So I, I learned some Spanish in high school and had to take a couple of college courses to apply for the exchange student program um, because of the particular like accreditation stuff. We had to have a couple of um, previous credits to, to, do the school program that we did. But um, so I knew a little bit of Spanish before I moved to Spain, but it was textbook Spanish and it was Latin American based Spanish, mm -hmm. which is not what they speak in Spain. They speak Castellano. Um, the accent's different. They have a totally different set of vocabulary and they just have a different way of, of seeing the world. I mean, I feel like that's a huge part of language is that it's not just knowing the correct words to use, but it's understanding a worldview. And every location that speaks a language is going to have a different worldview. It's going to have a different way that they use that language to express their heart and their mind and their culture. Um, and so when we got to Salamanca, it was like this, all the Spanish work I had done was almost no good <laughs> anymore because I needed to learn how to speak Spanish in the way that a Spaniard would. Um, and so I did several years of language school there, tutors, lots of what's called an intercambio, where you meet one-on-one um, -on -one with someone else and they speak some English, you speak some Spanish, you both get to practice. It's a really nice kind of mutual way to, to learn a language and also to build a relationship. Um, and uh, I feel like after after a year, I was able to to contribute to the ministry in some significant ways. I was able to give a talk or two to um, lead a small group in tandem with another teammate. Um, but it probably wasn't until after year three there that I really felt that kind of independence in language where I could, I could call to order pizza by myself and not cry. I could mm. go get your cut and not cry. <laughs> um, I could really hold my own in a small group um, and could really feel comfortable on a weekend retreat. I could go and be in the language for multiple days at a time without a break. Um, it, it took a while. And then in Scotland, English is different there. Yeah. It's English is different in in Scotland versus England. It's different certainly in Scotland versus um, Northwest Georgia, where mm -hmm. English is also pretty different. Right, right. Um, and so you're in Scotland, it's it's learning a new set of vocabulary, it's learning a different inflection and intonation to how you form your sentences. It's um, again, it's a different worldview. You're you, you know, the same words don't mean the same thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like language is actually quite tricky for someone going to to Scotland, England, Ireland, Wales, or Australia, anywhere else that, that English is spoken, because you think you don't have to learn the language. You think right. you can go and you can dive right in, but it's just not true. You've mm -hmm. got, it's almost harder because you have to dig deeper. You and there aren't the you can't go to a language school there and <laughs> that extra kind of cultural reinforcement that you would get if you're in Spain or here in Germany. Um, you've you've really got to do the work and and recognize in those early days that you kind of need to be silent like a language learner would and give yourself that space to to adjust and to learn and not again, not to assert yourself. <laughs> um, 
But I feel like I had a really big breakthrough in Edinburgh when I I gave myself the grace to be American. Then I I like if anyone is thinking about serving in an English speaking country, they don't want you to have their accent. Let me go ahead and put that out there. I've seen people try to do that. It's just embarrassing for everybody. Don't try and fake the accent. We had an intern, bless his heart, (laughs) and tried to fake the accent, but sounded like Crocodile Dundee the entire time. He's not Scottish. Not Scottish. Um, Crocodile Dundee is not Scottish and not a good way to do uh, language and intercultural competence learning. Anyway, so just, yeah, the taking the time to be a language learner, even if you're in a place that speaks, in theory, the same language that you're from, I think is really important. Here in Germany, it's been complicated by the pandemic. Um, We, when we moved here again, I was very, very pregnant. And so was able to do a little bit of language learning when we first got here, but then spent about a year primarily focused on taking care of the baby and did a little bit of one-on-one tutoring. Again, uh, did some of those, what here is called a tandem partner instead of an intercombio where you meet up um, <clears throat> with a conversation partner. Um, and then finally started full-time language school and then the pandemic hit and everything went online. We have an incredible language school in Tubingen. Um, They did a wonderful job of moving everything online, but it's still, it's always just going to be a little bit less engaging because it's three and a half hours every day on Zoom and you're not getting the out of class reinforcement. So it's been harder here. It's been harder as well, just by function of being a mom and not having other responsibilities. I'm not able to like go out every night and hang out and, you know, get to know tons of students. I'm not, I haven't been as able to be involved in the campus ministry because I have some family responsibilities that are really important to me. And so it's, It's given me a lot of empathy for other immigrant mothers um, Mm -hmm. who don't don't have the privileges and don't have the access to education that I do and just how difficult that is. But I'm glad you mentioned being a mom. I bet those girls know some German, don't they? They do. And they're my best tutors. I my, bet they are. Our five-year-old loves to correct mom's German and tell me that <laughs> you're not saying it right, mom. That's not how they say it in school. Um, although she makes some mistakes herself. The other day, she um, at, we were buying some cake at a bakery, which it, German bakeries 100% live up to the hype. Mm. Um and so we we're buying some cake and um, I let her take my debit card to pay. And here they call it an, an EC card. Mm-hmm. Um, the way you say those two letters in German, it sounds a little bit like the word for a donkey. And, and so I handed her my card and she said, mom, this is called an EC card. And so in English, that would be called a donkey card. Oh, I love it. <laughs> not, not quite. baby. <laughs> quite called a donkey car. I love it. I love um, multilingual children. I think that is such a fascinating concept. Uh, I have a a pretty strong memory of a teenage child asking me, I was holding a guitar and he's like, can I touch the guitar? And I'm like, sure, touch it. And he's like, no, I want to like touch it. And it's tocard. It's like you use the verb tocard to say touch or play an instrument. So yeah, he wanted to play the guitar, but he kept asking me if he could touch the guitar. I'm like, you're touching it, bud. It's right here. Um, yeah. I love it. I love that. And yeah, I, uh, I love that your girls are growing up learning both languages. That's great. That was a big motivator for us in deciding to come here was knowing that we weren't just making a decision for ourselves anymore, but we were making a decision mm-hmm. for our kids. And the, we this was a gift that we really wanted to give them was growing up in a place that spoke a different language. Awesome. I love that. That's beautiful. Uh, do you do you have a favorite German word? I feel like German words are captivating to me as a non-German speaker. They all just look so um, magnificent when I see them written down. They, there are many German words that are quite long and intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one that has a sweet memory for me is the word for butterfly, which is uh, Schmetterling. Um, because one of the first songs that our daughter learned to sing in preschool, one of the first like g- big German connections she made was about butterflies. And so yeah. sweet, sweet word for me. 
That's awesome. Good stuff. What about Spanish? You know, that's digging back in the archives, but I know I know it's still in there. Do you have a favorite Spanish? Yeah, word? yeah. Uh, I really love the word for bubbles in Spanish, which is burbujas. Yeah. And finally, any good Scottish words to share? Oh man, there we still use a fair amount of kind of Scottish, British English in our home, especially around baby products because mm -hmm. we had our first kid, we became parents for the first time there. And so we didn't have other words that we used. And so the word for diaper is nappy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's still what we say. We still um, talk about the, I don't know what word to use for a, like a stroller, the thing with wheels that you push kids around in. Cause there are like 18 different words in the UK. And, um, we say buggy a lot of the time, which when I hear the word buggy, I think oh, yeah. like, grocery store, definitely. Right. But we started saying buggy for whatever reason. Um, there's a really good word for when something, a situation is like complicated and you don't really want to deal with it. You would call it a faff. And mm -hmm. I really, I haven't quite, haven't found an equivalent for that yet. I love that. That's great. Yeah, come to think, I, I think I know several words for a baby stroller in UK. Yeah. Like push cart, is that right? Pram? Yeah, push chair, pram. Push chair, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, buggy. That's a lot. I know what people call it. I don't know. Here it's oh. a kindergarten. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that. That's great. So, yeah, I don't ever know what to call that thing that we put our children in and wheel them around. <laughs> You should just name it, like how people name their cars. Just oh, we did. It is named for one of our uh, supporters and good friends from college. It's called Roberta. It's named after it. Rob Rob Hartley. Um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> perfect. It needed a proper name, not not yeah. just the you know the word that it's called. I love that. It just sounds weird if we have a car and we say put Roberta in the trunk. Hmm. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. You know. Fair enough. You don't want any. Uh, uh, authorities getting called. It's not like, yeah, it's not like Earl's in the trunk. Exactly. Oh, I was totally thinking of Earl. I love it. Oh, man. So you kind of made reference to this earlier, just kind of growing up with Global Scope. And I, I kind of feel the same way. I, I laugh because when I first went to Mexico, I was 20 um, and a college student and hanging out all the time. And just, I was, I was the fun, the fun exchange student in a lot of ways. And then when I left, I had a baby in my arms. I was 30. And that was, you know, I grew up there in a lot of ways. Um, so this this next question, you know, when you think back, you're going to be thinking about a totally different person in a totally different stage of life. But I'm curious if you have any advice, if, if today Ansley has any advice for the Ansley that got on that plane and uh, went to Salamanca. Yeah, man. Um, my advice for a little 21 year old Ansley would be to I think it might be just to trust in your own voice, mm. trust that you have a voice that needs to be heard and don't try and play so small. I think when I, I had some really incredible people mentoring me when I was a student and through my exchange student process and a lot of the, the teammates who were in Salamanca um, when I was an exchange student were incredible. All of them were incredible, not just a lot of them. All of them were. A lot of them became my, my teammates when I came back to be on the team in Salamanca. But I think for a long time, I just tried to imitate the people who had mentored me and I just tried to be them. I They did great things. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. I just tried to replicate what they did and it really came back around to bite me in the butt mm -hmm. because it, it wasn't my voice. And there were a couple of times where, so I eventually became the exchange student coordinator in Salamanca. Mm -hmm. So it was the person who would receive exchange students who were coming to spend a semester, a year with us and kind of help them through that, that experience. Um, and there were a couple of exchange students who eventually kind of called me out on things because they could just tell I wasn't, I wasn't being honest or I would try to present an idea to them or challenge them in a way. And it wouldn't work because it wasn't my own, it wasn't my own challenge. It was just something I, something cool I'd seen somebody else do. Yeah. Um, and so I went through some big growing pains to learn that I needed to be more my authentic self. I needed to dig more into 
the image of God in me and, and speak out of that place rather than just trying to reflect the image of God in someone else. Um, and that was a really difficult learning process. It was ugly, but mm. yeah. So I think I would probably encourage young me to, to, I don't know, trust yourself a little bit more. Again, you have been a minister in a lot of different stages of life. And I'm curious, um, over your time with Global Scope, what have been some of the most life-giving parts of ministry for you? What What's the stuff that when you're doing it, when you're participating um, in ministry in that way, you're saying, this is it. This is, this is why I signed up to do this. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I'm pretty, pretty far over on like the introvert scale, but I'm a very relational introvert. And so the most life-giving parts of Global Scope for me have, have been relationships, both with teammates, um, with coworkers and with people, um, with students, certainly with exchange students and interns that I've been able to mentor. And then people that I've gotten to meet in the various places I've lived. Um, one of my one of my favorite things that I was a part of in Salamanca was a talk writing team. So we did a event where there would be music and food and a talk and uh, funny videos, pretty typical American campus ministry model type stuff. Um, and we did our best to make it contextually Spanish. Um, but I was part, we have part of that uh, was giving a talk every week and I was able to be part of the team that would create those and then deliver those as well. And as much as I enjoy the writing process, which I really do love as much as I enjoy the public speaking process, which makes me so nervous and I like it really pit sweaty and mm -hmm. even, even still love it. The best part was that team that I was on because we just, we worked so well together. There was such a sense of trust and such a sense of that it wasn't one person who was like the star of the show and everybody else was supporting them. We all had a voice. We all had something worth saying and we were so good to each other and how we encouraged those things to come out. We were so, I don't know. It was, I just felt so loved and so encouraged and like it really brought out the best in me and it gave me a place also to bring out the best in other people. Um, I really, really loved it. Um, another big highlight and blessing was a, a small group, a church small group that we were involved in. My husband and I were involved in when we lived in Edinburgh. Um, we just got really lucky with happening to live, I mean, like five doors down from of just the most amazing small group from our church who supported us through our move to Edinburgh, who gave us community, who fed us. They had us over for Christmas when we didn't go to the States for Christmas. They, um, you know, showered us with gifts when our daughter was born. They mourned with us when we had a miscarriage. They were the people who sent us out to Tubingen in a big way. Um, which was a really humbling experience, you know, to have previously had this experience of being kind of sent out in a way from mm -hmm. a, from churches and ministries in the States, but then to have built such relationships in Edinburgh where we felt like we were almost commissioned again um, to come to Tubingen and blessed by them was really, really special. Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. And I'm sure if any of our missionaries are listening along on the podcast, um, they either track with that or wish they had it because, oh my goodness, having that meaningful community that you're a part of, not just creating yeah, on yeah. The, the field, I think is so important. So yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that y'all had that. Yeah. That, the, another thing that I've, I've always really loved about being involved in Global Scope um, is getting to go to Global Scope weddings, of, like weddings of students mm -hmm. that you know and build relationships with. Um, it just, I don't know. It's such a, so beautiful to have gotten to know them as students, to watch their life progress, to to see them meet someone, fall in love, and then to get 
to be such an intimate part of a really big day in their lives. Um, I'm sure you've gotten to go to some student weddings in your time. And it's yeah. I don't know, it's really special to see, see this community that you've been a part of expressed in a really different way um, on a wedding day is really special. Totally. Now I'm curious, just because of the timing of y'all moving to Germany, have you gotten to go to a German wedding? No, we have not. Okay. So we had a, an intern at El Pozo in Mexico where I served and she was German, um, actually just from right up the road from y'all. She was from the Tubingen area and uh, she married as a student from our ministry eventually. And their wedding had some strong German flavor and it was awesome. It was so different than any wedding I had been to and I loved it. So I cannot wait to hear a full report from when you get to go to your first German wedding. They are awesome. So, so cool. Yeah. Okay. So you already mentioned that your skill set wasn't like ideal for a launch team, but that you did it not only once, but twice. I'm curious if there are any other aspects of campus ministry world that are just really draining for you. For me, it's like, honestly, event planning. Like I'm not like amazing at logistics. Um, so that's a huge part of campus ministry. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if there's something that is just um, a growth area for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I, gosh, I feel like on paper, I'm like not your ideal campus ministry candidate because I don't, learning languages. I find it really difficult. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm pretty introverted. I'm not super like outgoing. I, um, I'm kind of a homebody. I don't particularly love change. Um, you know, like if I were to write a CV, a, a resume, mm -hmm, yeah. um, I just don't know that anyone in their right mind would have picked me, but here I am, you know, here you uh, are decades later, um, still doing it. I, I, there are a lot of things that I find like really draining in a lot of growth areas I have. Um, I, I mean, I find it really, it's always a struggle for me to walk into a campus house and strike up a conversation with someone that I don't know. It like takes some self-talk beforehand. It takes a little bit of prayer beforehand. Um, that's always something that I, I have room to grow in. Um, I, I also have room to grow in, I mean, here language is a big thing I have room to grow in. Um, uh, something that I have been becoming more curious about and more trying to seek after is becoming aware of the places where I'm really monoculture and the places where mm -hmm. I'm not aware of just how multicultural of an organization Global Scope has become. Um, a lot of my professional and creative energy right now is kind of is going towards trying to help our team and Global Scope become a more intercultural organization. Um, and so that that has started with a lot of kind of personal growth of realizing the cultural blinders and biases that I have. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think uh, that's that's certainly an area that that CMF um can grow organizationally as well. And that looks like a lot of us doing some of our own work, but then again, yeah, lifting each other up and challenging each other to do some of that work as well, individually and corporately. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're spending some of your um, energy there these days. Um, so, so it's kind of been a while since you've lived in the U.S., like it's been a minute. I know you've done a, a furlough or two, um, but are there things? Are there things that you miss about the U.S.? Yeah. Um, it, so people talk about kids, like my kids, being third culture kids, mm -hmm. and I feel like in a lot of ways, if you can be a third culture adult, then maybe I'm a third culture adult because pretty much right after I graduated college, I moved to Spain. Mm -hmm. So I had not, I've never lived as an adult in America. Sure. I don't have any adult experiences in America. I've never, like both my kids were not, were born away from, I got married in America, but even like our wedding wasn't really like your typical American wedding, kind of. Um, 
you know, like we didn't register for a ton of stuff. We never, we lived, <laughs> we never had really our own house in America yeah. after getting married. We lived in my in-laws basement um, after we got married until we moved to Scotland. <laughs> um, so our first home was in Edinburgh as a married couple. Um, I, so it's, there's not, not m much that I miss about, America because I don't know what adult Americans do. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hear that. You know, like I had their childhood things that I miss sure. about America. Um there yeah, but there aren't like it's there's not like a bag of candy that I grab every time I go back. There's mm -hmm. not um, you know, a certain restaurant that I always want to go back to because so many of my formative experiences since graduating college have not happened in America. So when people ask like, what do you miss? I miss going out for tapas in Salamanca. I miss, um, you know, the getting to go to, to Portugal so easily on vacation. I miss the grocery store that we used to go to in Edinburgh. I miss, um, you know, more like foods and things from, from places that aren't America. Right. I, I totally get that. Yeah. I, um, similarly to you moved away to work with global scape right after college. And so moving back at 31, um, turning 31 that summer with a baby. Um, I also was kind of feeling like I was finally graduating from college because since yes. I had been 18, I had been in college world, whether that was as a student or in campus ministry intern or as a campus minister. And so it was very hard very hard to learn how to be an American adult. And that is honestly, it's kind of still a struggle for me uh, now because it's, I'm so new at it. Um, my adulting skills are not very strong, at least in this American context. I was pretty good at being an adult in Mexico, but <laughs> probably not that great. Yeah. Culturally then, like is your family, would you say y'all are just a third culture family? Like do you um, incorporate customs from all the places that you've lived? Um, I'm sure you have some some American traditions or observances that you have, but I'm, I'm imagining that your family is also culturally kind of a, um, I don't wanna say like a melting pot, but let's say like a salad. It has like some some diversity and it's all beautiful and all different. Yeah, yeah, I I think we are pretty, um, we're uh, as multicultural of a family as we can be. Um, we try to be at least. So there, there's definitely a lot from our time in Edinburgh that we've brought into our family. I mean, I mentioned earlier that we use a lot of vocabulary still, yeah. um, rounding like baby things there. We still do a couple of like traditional British holiday things. Like we do pancake day to kick off Lent in our family. Um, we're picking up a lot of German things. There's a really fun uh, Saints Day, St. Martin's Day um, in November that we really enjoy as a family where kids make lanterns and they have these like traditional songs and they walk around mm -hmm. with lanterns at night, do like a little parade and sing all these sweet little songs. It's really wonderful. Um, you know, we're trying to learn what it's like to do holidays in Germany. And a lot of that is helped by our kids being in school now because they're just picking up little, you know, their little cultural sponges and picking up and learning so many things and adopting so many things as their own through being involved in school here. Um, we, uh, I don't know that we have too many like Spanish traditions that we've held on to as a family. I, when I lived in Spain, a big regret I have for my time in Global Scope is that when I was in my 20s living in Spain, I felt like I worked in Spain and I lived in America mm. because the first couple of years there when my language wasn't very good um, and because, kind of because of my understanding of how ministry worked at the time and how that life of a, of a campus minister, international campus minister was supposed to work. I, my significant support relationships were all still in the U S mm. and so I did my work in Spain and then every summer I went back to the U.S., got filled up there so that I could go and spend it all again in Spain. Like I, I seriously would not even get my hair cut in Spain because it was it just felt too difficult and I didn't know how to do it. And I, I couldn't get myself to learn how to get a haircut there. And so I waited until I went back to the States at Christmas and in the summer every year. Um, 
And I regretted that. Like mm -hmm. when we moved to Edinburgh, I knew that one of the first things I was going to do was get a haircut yes. here because I, I knew that I had to learn how to live in the country that I actually lived in. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't live and work in two different places. Um, so unfortunately, I don't feel like I've been able to bring as much from Spain into our family life. Um, one thing that's been really helpful for us being a family that's been in so much transition is that we try and rely on the liturgical calendar a lot to give a rhythm to our years um, because everything is, you know, we've got a little bit of Scottish, we've got a little bit of American, mm -hmm. a little bit of German. I'm sure there's some Spanish coming in somewhere. Um and so to give a little bit of cohesion to every year and to kind of create our own family culture, uh, the liturgical calendar and following that for our kind of seasons has been really helpful for our family. And um, and yeah, just trying to to establish other things that are special for our family um, that will hopefully kind of carry our girls through the bumps of being so multicultural. I love that. That's that's really beautiful. And it's a good reminder that. Um, yeah, our, our ministry and our lives really shouldn't be bound by any culture. Um, mm. They they should be flavored and inspired by many cultures. Um, but yeah, like our lives are um, should be really tied to something much much broader and more beautiful than any any of our cultures. I'm curious, how what year did you begin service with Global Scope? So I started as an exchange student in 2004. And then affiliated with CMF back in the days of assessment center. Yes. <laughs> um, in ooh, 2005, I think so. Affiliated in 2005. Okay. So, so we'll call this, you're in year like 16, 17. I don't know. A long time. A long time. You've been, you've been with CMF for a long time. You've been in ministry for a long time. Yeah. Um, what are some of the, this is going to be broad, but like spiritual disciplines or practices, mm -hmm. maybe some um, media, like, are you, are you, are there podcasts? Are there books? Are there, um, you already mentioned the liturgical calendar. Um, but what, what do you do to um, just maintain your, your own spiritual health, but also just continue growing um, as, as a follower of Jesus and as a minister? Um, what, what's been, um, kind of fueling that flame all this time. Yeah. I, I love, I love reading books. I have rarely encountered a problem in my life that I couldn't read my way out of in a significant way. Um, I'm a big journaler. I, uh, there's some podcasts that I kind of like dabble with, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I like, I'm a huge podcast listener. Sorry. It's okay. You're not, you're not Phil Tatum <laughs> level of podcast listening. You say that while you're recording a podcast? Is it like? Yeah, I think it gives you street cred. <laughs> um, yeah, books, journaling um, have been really helpful for me. Um, but a funny thing happened when I had kids, and I didn't. I, I don't, maybe you're better at this than I am, but I have had a very difficult time journaling and reading books as a mom because I have these little people who are like constantly in need of me and my body and my presence in a way that I had never experienced before. And so all these things that I used to do to sustain my spiritual life and my mental health, kind of the rhythms of those went out the door when I had my first child. And so I think that's been really good for me because what it's done is it's taken my faith out of my head mm -hmm. and it's taken God out of my, well, it hasn't taken God out of my thought life, but it's moved God from being just an intellectual exercise that I was involved in mm -hmm. to actually being something that was in my heart and in my body. I, mm -hmm. my, my experience of faith has become a lot more physical mm -hmm. As I've as I've become a mother, as I've learned to care for children, as we've been through this huge move, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's just been physical in a way that it never had been before. Being at Georgia Tech, which is a very intellectual place, it it was faith was something that engaged my brain 
Um, but when I couldn't read and when I couldn't journal and when I didn't have time to think because I had a baby screaming or I needed to feed them or, you know, it had to become in my heart and it had to become in my hands and what, what I was able to do that day. And it just became much more presence instead of thought. Yes, ma'am. I uh, luckily have the only book that I have read this entire calendar year sitting right beside me. And I just looked, I've read 93 pages <laughs> in 2021. So I'm normally a person that reads like between 35 and 50 books a year. But that I feel like motherhood um, gives us the opportunity to shift out of that. Even if I like you really love to read, um, it just feels like a luxury that's beyond me right now. But yes, many of those same experiences, rocking and feeding my daughter at 3 a.m. Mm. is a really beautiful way to connect with God. Um, yeah. Even yeah. if I can't put it on my Goodreads that I checked off another book. So yeah. I'm with you. I think I think that's that's a huge shift, but there's something really beautiful about that too. Um, because there's no limit to the amount of books that we could read or, you know, it, it's not consuming. We don't mm -hmm. consume um, in this stage of life where it's a, a little bit more of a pouring out and a living. And it, it is more of an embodied spiritual practice. And I love, um, I love how that um, shapes this season of life in a different way. I think I've heard people use language from time to time about um, aging out of global scope or <laughs> um, being too old for campus ministry or um, things like that. And um, I'm curious, do you just do you reject the premise of that entire <laughs> statement or do you um, do you just believe that ministry shifts in a different season of life? What what does it look like for you as someone who started in campus ministry when you were still basically a college student and have um, now you're, you're married, you're a mom. What does it look like to be uh, in campus ministry in a different season? Yeah, I um, obviously don't feel like I have aged out of campus ministry yet. I have aged in campus ministry. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone is confusing me for a student anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the children in the stroller help with that. Um, but I, I think that I've aged out of some of the notions that I had about what campus ministry is. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned earlier that I went through some big growing pains uh, in my first term in Spain um, because I had a lot of thoughts about this is how you do campus ministry. This is what it looks like. This is how it can be successful. And this is who you have to be to be a successful campus minister. And if you hold on to those early thoughts that you have and those conceptions that you're just so certain of, then you're probably going to age out of it. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, allowing myself to grow older, to shift how I relate to students has been really helpful that you hit a point where there's just no mistaking you for even like a graduate student anymore. And so you, your ministry becomes less peer to peer ministry and more the ministry of a, a mentor figure. And I, that's a really healthy growth step, I think, to, con to push yourself through, you know, if, if you feel like you're getting to the point in your ministry career where it's time to move on to something else, that's okay. You don't have to like, make an excuse that you've aged out of it, you can just say, I'm moving on. And that's okay. Right. Because I don't, I don't, I see some people who are in campus ministry after decades and decades and who are still really effective. And I don't think that there's a certain age that has a monopoly on impacting the lives of students for Christ. I think that people at every stage of life can impact students. And so I don't know. For me, it's been really good to grow older or grow old in campus ministry um, to to go through all these different life stages. Because when I when I started out in Spain, I was a young, young, single 20 something. I was out at night until three in the morning pretty frequently and um, 
ministering as a 20 year old ministers. And then in Scotland, I ministered as a 30 year old ministers and ministered as a young wife ministers and ministered as a young mother ministers. And I feel really blessed to have been able to experience all these different life stages and to learn what ministry can look like from all these different viewpoints. I think it's really enhanced my faith and also enhanced the relatability I have to people actually that rather than taking away my relatability, now I have all these different windows that I can look out on to life and to, I don't know, to connect with people through. Um, it's given me a lot more places where someone can grab onto me, I guess. Um, and you know, as I'm looking at 40 in the next couple of years, that'll be a, a new way to learn how to do ministry. How does a 40 year old do ministry? I don't know yet. We'll find out. I love it. I love that so much. And um, yeah, I, I challenge people often to to just remind themselves, your ministry needs to be for the sake of students, not for the sake of yourself. And sometimes when people use that age out language, I do, I kind of <laughs> want to say, why are you in this job? Is it just because you want to be fun and cool and a, a fun friend? Or is it because you want, because you want to share Jesus with college students? And so um, I love that that perspective has come with time. And yeah, it's it's not just about um, hanging out late at night or any of that. Thank the Lord, because I couldn't do that if I tried now, but um, right. it is, it is about, um, just offering, showing up in the season of life that we are in. And, and, um, we always have something to offer to students, to our peers, to our neighbors, to, um, all the people in our lives. And it's, uh, I think it's really beautiful to, to persist in ministry and remain, uh, even with, some pretty significant geographical shifts just to continue ministering and uh, to, to now be able to show up every day um, with a really rich, deep history and perspective. And, and I think students, students today, when, when you hang out with a student um, or maybe the next time that y'all are receiving exchange students in Tubigan or interns or whatever, um, that they're going to be getting I think the best, the most awesome version of Ansley and, and how lucky are they? They're going to um, have, have a minister that they can connect with in some really special ways. And I, I think that's awesome. So I'm glad, I'm glad you have not aged out of global scope. <laughs> Thanks. It is a humbling moment when you realize that your students are closer in age to your children than they are to you at this point. And then a lot of your connection points are now coming through the culture that you're learning from your children because it is closer mm -hmm. to that of your students than anything that this elder millennial might know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. Yeah. And when, when you can't, when you, when you don't catch any of the references or any of that, when you have no overlapping childhood, then you just have to start from a different point to connect right. with students. And that is fine. Yep. It's just different. Okay. So if someone's listening to our podcast and we'll assume she's a woman, some young woman is listening to us talk about being campus ministers and what that has looked like. Um, and she's not sure. She's not sure she can do it. What would be your words of advice um, to someone who thinks that sounds cool, um, but I'm, I'm not sure that that I could do what they do? What would you say to her? Um, I would say that I also was not sure that I could do it. And then I, I, I'm still doing it, right? Like it's, I... I was the least qualified to sign up to be an exchange student there. I just felt like there was no reason that they should pick me. There were, you know, the other people who were applying had a lot more Spanish ability, had a lot more ministry experience, had grown up in the church. They were, you know, super leaders at my campus ministry. And I was just a girl looking for to open up space for God to work in her life. And I think when you approach it, with an attitude like that, then it's not you that's doing it, right? It's not about you and what you can do. It's about what God wants to do through you. And it's not about this skill set that you might have, because once you get to a different culture, a lot of those skills go out the window because, well, one, maybe you can't say a word in a language that anyone understands. And two, that's just I know I've come to see that that's not what it's about. It's not about what we bring with us and what we give. It's about what we can 
do together with the people that we are in ministry with, with the people that we are seeking to journey closer to Christ with. And so if you don't think you can do it, don't make yourself do it. Just let let yourself be a part of the experience in the process and see what God does through that. I am so grateful for the ways Ansley was so open, authentic, and vulnerable on this episode of The Fellowship. As a third culture adult growing up in Global Scope, Ansley provided us with some awesome insight into the ways that she has been stretched on her ministry journey. I particularly loved her points on the physicality of her faith and learning more about what it means to literally embody her faith in Jesus these days and that need for each of us to create in our own lives that open space for God to work. I also resonate with her recognition that language is the key to beginning to understand the worldview of a people and a place. And finally, I was challenged by the question she has posed to herself, her family, and her team. Where in my life am I monocultural? In what areas of my life and faith do I need to better understand the intercultural workings of God? As always, thanks for listening to this episode of The Fellowship. Now, get out there and connect with what God is doing in the world around you.